Welcome to In The Know. I'm Mark Brown and I'm joined today by Director and Financial Planner Neil Clark to discuss intergenerational wealth planning. Welcome, Neil. Afternoon, Mark. I'm going to start by referring back to our earlier podcast series on the seven concepts of financial planning. Our first concept is that everyone is financially unique and this is certainly true when it comes to intergenerational planning. In this case, you're not just talking about your own journey through life and what this means to your planning, but also the lives and circumstances of your immediate family members and those you want to financially support. Over recent years, we've seen increasing asset values and levels of wealth in the UK, and it's forecast that over the next 30 years, some 5.5 trillion of wealth will transfer. Without prior consideration and planning, much of this will incur unnecessary tax, not end up where intended, or will be used ineffectively because of poor financial decisions and a lack of professional advice. Intergenerational wealth planning is as much an emotional challenge as it is financial and is easy to put off for that reason. I'm going to ask Neil to share some of his experiences, which you may well relate to, and these will hopefully help you to address your own challenges if you have not done so already. Neil, you will have helped many clients over the years plan for wealth transfer. What would you say the major challenges and concerns are around this that people have? That's a very broad question, Mark, but um, perhaps I'll start by referring to a recent survey that Prudential commissioned where they were asking an audience of people um, their views on wealth transfer. And interestingly, the answers they got to the question that they asked was no different to the experience that I and many of my colleagues have had when discussing this question of transferring wealth with clients. The survey highlighted five major reasons that people consistently raised that apply to both transferring wealth in our lifetime and with one exception, once we've passed away. And those reasons were, I might need it in the future. The question about squandering, perhaps whoever they pass the money to may squander it. A loss of control that whoever was going to receive this money should make their own way in the world and recipients would need to pay tax on money that they received. Now, if you reflect on those answers, you can see that they're all driven by emotion and that one emotion is fear. Now, you may recall that I touched on this in our earlier podcast series where I mentioned that fear is one of the major factors behind people failing to plan for the future. It's a very powerful emotion and it often presents a major barrier to us taking action when we know it makes sense to do so. One of the major benefits, if not the benefit in my opinion, of working with a financial planner is the reassurance that we can bring through the knowledge and more importantly, the experience we have in delivering peace of mind. For example, if we can help define the future for the client, we can provide for that future and in doing so, give them confidence that if they choose to help their children with a house deposit, for example, they can afford to do so as they'll not be financially disadvantaged themselves. So it's all starts, in my opinion, with getting clarity about the future 
and what the client is really seeking to achieve. Thanks, Neil. So putting aside the technical aspects of um, this planning, why do you think we find this subject so difficult to talk about and how do we overcome this? I think first, Mark, we have to distinguish between the practical reasons why people don't consider wealth transfer and the emotional ones. Um, for example, a, a practical reason may be that people simply do not have the liquidity to be able to make a transfer of wealth to the next generation in their lifetime. Um, you know, maybe they've got a portfolio of property, for example, which to transfer that they'd need to sell it. So there is a there are practical issues that stop people from addressing this, but I still believe very much so that the the driving reason why people don't address this is very much an emotional one. Um, few of us are very happy to consider our own mortality. Um, discussing this often makes us feel very vulnerable, and so we tend to put it off. Um, you can see that in the number of people who don't have an up-to-date will, for example, or a lasting power of attorney, unless someone, usually a financial planner or a lawyer, has encouraged them to do so. It, it's not a subject that people feel particularly comfortable about, our own mortality. The other thing is that we've got, it's our relationship with money in general. Um, we very often don't feel comfortable talking about the subject of money. Um, we often view it as being, well, that's our business. That's, that's not my children's business or it's not my grandchildren's business. It's my business. You know, we don't often say to our child, oh, I've had a pay rise today of 10% or anything. We, we just don't, we just don't do that. Um, so somewhere in the back of our mind, there's something that stops us. And, and, I, and I keep coming back to this word fear again. There's, there's something there that says, hmm. I don't feel comfortable talking about this. It's a very, very difficult subject and it has to be treated with sensitivity. Um, but let me give you an example, at least try and give you an example anyway. If, if I have had a conversation with a client where I've really understood their values and, and their motivation by being prepared to ask searching questions, I can then align that client's actions to their values. So a recent conversation with a client revealed that as well as the obvious beneficiaries of their estate, they wish to leave a significant sum to a particular charity. I understood why they wanted to do that because I'd listened to their story and their story gave me the motivation for why they wanted to leave monies to this particular charity. Okay. Apart from the tax planning benefits of doing that, uh, I can understand their reasons. I took that conversation a stage further, however, and I asked a very simple question and I said to them, what difference would it make to you if you could gift that money to the charity in your lifetime and see the influence that money would have on that charity's ability to meet their obligations? Now, the difference in the client reaction when I raised that particular point was dramatic. And it just goes to show how powerful overcoming emotion is in making taking action in this complicated area 
No, I understand that, Neil, actually. That uh, makes a lot of sense. And I think what we're saying is that in order to address this, you've got to, first of all, you know, fundamentally um, overcome what might seem some quite uncomfortable areas for you um, yeah. to yes. think about and consider. Um, but if you don't address those um, those areas, then you're never going to start the um, the journey towards putting a plan in place, which will ultimately um, deliver um, what you want the end outcome to be. Ultimately, Mark, it's all about it's all about having a plan. It's all about understanding what it is you ideally would like to achieve, and then putting in place a plan that you are comfortable with to be able to achieve that overall objective. And that does take time and patience and gentle questioning and re and evaluating what people really, really desire. So to contrast that, um, moving on from emotion to inheritance tax. Um, so like any tax, I guess it's an unwelcome deduction. Um, um, but it does have a bearing, um, not only at the time that this tax is paid, but if it's a deduction from an estate and transfer of wealth, you know, it's also going to have an impact um, for years to come because any assets that are not passed down um, because of tax, the, the loss of future compound growth means that um, they will be um, worth less um, in time and the value of the estate passed down will be worth less. Um, what we're seeing is with rising asset values, as we've noted, um, estate values are increasing um, and therefore more IHT is being payable um, unless you put planning in place. Um, the numbers here are pretty significant um, and should prompt us to seriously think about what reasonable action we can take. Yes, no, that's very true. And I, and I think before we take any action whatsoever, I think we have to consider what the client feels they need to be able to maintain or fulfill their preferred lifestyle. Because once we know that, we can work out whether they can afford to transfer wealth onto the next generation or even the generation after, after that. Once we've got that defined, if you like, we also need to deal with some of the emotional concerns that might stop the client from making that decision to transfer wealth, um, you know, giving up control over, over how the money may be used, for example. Um, we need to define as well whether we're looking to transfer a lump sum or are we happy to make regular payments out of surplus income. From an inheritance tax perspective, these are treated entirely differently. One is possibly a potentially exempt transfer and it could be a chargeable lifetime transfer, or it could in actual fact be, be an exemption because it's surplus from income. Need to consider very carefully about who we are planning to pass the wealth to. Um, are we, if we're passing it on to our children, are we simply passing the problem down the line and creating an inheritance tax liability for them? Um, or do we want to jump a generation to grandchildren? Uh, do we want to retain control by putting whatever we're giving away inside a trust where we can retain a degree of control over it? The range of questions is to consider is, is limitless and, and the range of op options are, are perhaps limited. The important thing is that it's all about 
talking about it. Talk to the beneficiaries, talk to your financial planner, find a solution that you all feel comfortable with and everyone is happy with and appreciates what the reasons for it. Now, you need to be aware, of course, that, that your wishes may not necessarily prove to be the ones that, that will actually happen. Um, but we do need to consider very carefully um, what would happen on, on death, for example, because there are deeds of variation that can be done to, to wills. I'm getting a little bit technical here, so I'll probably need to come back from that a little bit. But let's say, say for sake of argument, that uh, I may own a portfolio of properties and I want to pass these on death to my beneficiaries. Um, well, the problem there is that if those are my only assets, then I've got a question as to how are the executors of my will going to be able to pay the inheritance tax levies on my estate? Because I've got illiquid assets, but I have an inheritance tax liability that has to be um, paid within six months after the end of the month in which death occurred. Now, if I, all I've got is property, I've either got to sell a property or borrow money against that property. So I need to be, and you need to be aware of have you got liquidity in place? There are so many different aspects to this, and everything is going to be unique to the client and client circumstances. So on that, um, so on that note, um, Neil, maybe a slightly unfair question to end with, but from a personal perspective, what thought have you given to your own wealth transfer arrangements, and what would you say you've learned from um, thinking about this? Oh, there you go. Nice, nice personal question there, Mark. Thank you for that. Um, I've actually, I actually have thought about this quite a lot. Um, I've, I have a fairly simple view, um, and, I, and I suspect that my view is shared by many parents. Um, I want my children to enjoy a life that is well lived and, and hopefully an improvement on my own. And with that in mind, I, I look at the assets that I have accumulated over my working life. And I've, whilst I know that I'm going to be benefiting from those assets because you know, I need to have an income to be able to lead the life that I want to lead and my wife wants to lead, um, I feel I'm the custodian of those assets. And as a custodian, I think it's incumbent upon me to protect those assets as best I can. And that means planning how I might want to give some of those assets away, when I might want to give some of those assets away. Do I want my family to enjoy some of those assets whilst I'm still alive? Because then at least I'm here to see what's going on, what's going on. Um, the important point for me is that I, I, yes, it is my money, I suppose, but I do consider myself very much to be a custodian for the future as well and the family as a whole. Thank you, Neil. That's all for this edition, which I hope has given you some useful thoughts on how and why you should start your intergenerational wealth planning. In our next edition, we will be looking at some of the specific reasons for wealth transfer and approaches that can be used for these. Thank you for listening.